Hi, I'm Emery Parker. And I'm Brooks Brunson. And we're here each week to explain the forces shaping the Palmetto State. So today we're welcoming our Columbia Bureau Chief, Andy Shane. Hi, Andy. Hey, hi. How are you guys doing today? Uh, still a little hungry. A little hungry. Yeah. Then have breakfast. Well, it's a little early. Yeah. Anyway, Andy's here to talk about the University of South Carolina. Also known as USC, or sometimes, uh, more recently, U of SC. Kind of depends on who you ask. <laughs> I, I really want the of take off yeah. <laughs> are you, are you uh, pro of you're, you're pro of well i mean i mean you know like like you know have like the ohio state but you know we would be the of you know? <laughs> the of. <laughs> yeah well, i think that's i think they, they just want to avoid confusion with um the other usc we, we can't go but, down that but i'm not no. yeah which i don't recognize no so <laughs> california does not exist <laughs> this is a south carolina podcast yes anyway specifically we're here to talk about usc's recent and highly controversial search for a new president it led to protests from the students and faculty, a brief court battle, major donor backlash, and it culminated in a heated board meeting where retired Army General Bob Caslin was elected by a slim margin three months after he had been passed over for the job. Pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And it's been crazy. So, yeah, Andy here, he's our Columbia Bureau Chief, um, and he's been covering this story for the Post and Courier for months. And uh, I don't think anybody here knows more about uh, this controversial presidential election. Is it, is it an election? I guess. Selection. 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 Yeah, sure. Uh, then, then Andy here. But we thought it might be good to kind of start off by just setting the stage a bit. So, Andy, can you tell us a little bit about, like, the role of, of the university, like, kind of in the state as a whole and why the president of the college is an important figure? Sure. The the president at USC is one of the most important figures in in the state, along with the governor, the House speaker, uh, the Senate president, um, and whoever's coaching uh, the football teams, (laughs) really. Um, (laughs) um, You know, what you're talking about with the University of South Carolina is the largest college in the state. Um, It is the state flagship uh, institution. Um, It has eight campuses, including, of course, the campus, the main campus in Columbia, 51,000 students total uh, attend the eight campuses. Uh, So the president that is uh, chosen actually oversees all of them, Um, not just the Columbia campus. Sometimes uh, folks just think that that person just oversees uh, the one campus, but in fact, they are in charge of the chancellors. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. They're in charge of the chancellors of the uh, seven other campuses. So this this is their boss. Um, you know, you're talking about a school that dates back to 1801. Um, for those who've been fortunate enough to go to the the what's the old campus, the Horseshoe, um, you can sort of see that history come alive. It's really it's it's kind of neat and sort of in the middle of this bustling downtown. Um, so the president obviously seems to be like a pretty important figure, right. and also you know so much about USC. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> you just name it off facts. So is it is it Bob or is it Robert Castlin? He he has asked us to call him Bob. Um, you All know, right. of course, everything is Robert. If you Google him, it's All you know right. he's a he's a retired three star Army why, general. Why does he want to be Bob? He says, "Call me Bob." That's, he right. said at his first news conference. He is said, "Don't call of, me." And he said, "Also, don't call me General." You know, he says, "I want to be I want to be Bob." He's trying to be like casual guy. It's like, is that part well, of his like? I, you know, I guess. Uh, I guess. I guess yeah. Huh. Okay. Uh, so Bob, Bob doesn't sound as threatening as General. Yeah, right. General Fair Robert. Enough. Yeah. Okay. Um, but can you tell us who he is? Um, he is a Connecticut native who um, uh, went in, went to the uh, went to West Point. He was actually a center on the West Point football team himself um, during a time when the, the army wasn't very good. Um, and he uh, eventually, of course, uh, went on, went ahead and served in the army for forty three years. Uh, you know, his career is. Uh, too long to go into uh, for the podcast, but uh, namely, obviously, he's been in combat. Uh, he's obviously led troops, and, and you know, and he's taken command. He's had several commands, including overseas. Um, and in fact, he helped write the um, uh, write a handbook or the national uh, handbook on how to handle ter- terrorism, uh, among other things. He was a, sort of a big deal in the Pentagon. He also um, became sort of the number two at West Point at one point. So he's actually had two stints at West Point as a as an administrator. Uh, later Later on, he would be the superintendent. Um, and those, those were his final five years in the Army. But before that, he was actually a finalist to be uh, the national security advisor for Donald Trump. Um, so he is someone who was considered uh, politically savvy as well. 
Um, and as I said, he, he finished up his career at West Point where uh, Army finally ended its long losing streak against Navy, which just like with uh, South Carolina would be uh, welcome in its long uh, problems now with Clemson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, you know, very focused on, um, you know, on athletics, and that's been a big part of it. He changed out the football coach at uh, at Army, among other things. Um, but you know, he is known as a, you know, as a uh, as a as a well regarded uh, military commander, and uh, and and in this case, uh, someone who came from West Point as a education policy uh, person. Okay, so then what what makes him so controversial at USC then? Well, you know, normally when you hire a university president, the university president uh, will have had a doctorate degree, a PhD, as well as a long record of research. In the case of Harris Pastides, who uh, Bob Caslin succeeded, he um, Harris Pastides was an epidemiologist. Of course, he was Yale-educated. Um, he, of course, had a long uh, history of research as well as of, of working in academia. He had, among other places, had uh, – you know, he had been at USC for 10 years uh, before he became president, among other things. So, you know, normally that's where your presidents come from. Bob Caslin, um, as I said, was a military man, basically spent a few, a little less than a decade, I think, between his two stints at West Point. Um, doesn't have a doctorate degree, doesn't really have that long research background um, that normally uh, students and faculty expect from a university president. So that made him a little bit of a controversial character uh, in in that sense, um, that he was a non-traditional, non-academic coming in. Uh, the other thing, too, was what happened when he came on campus. What happened there? Yeah, what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was um, He came on campus. Uh, there, he, was, he, he was among the four finalists. Um, the other three finalists, none of them had ever run a college. He was the only one who had ever run a college. So, yeah, he um, did have that experience. He did have that experience. But the other ones were more traditional academics. They were mm-hmm. vice presidents of research. They headed up the graduates. Uh, one headed up a graduate school program. Another oversaw um, academics system-wide in Indiana. But he came on campus and, you know, they had these forums and he spoke at these forums and he said a couple of things sort of offhand that uh, students and faculty took the wrong way. Um, there was some implication that he may have said something that was basically victim blaming in sexual assault is- instances, as well as the idea that he had not lowered standards at West Point to increase diversity um, that rubbed people the wrong way. You know, I don't think. Wait, so, so please. just to, to be the, the last thing. So he's saying that that's what he's alleged to have said, that he didn't lower standards to yeah. increase diversity. So, okay, so the problem with that would be that the implication being that you have to. Lower standards to right. increase diversity. Exactly. Right. That, oh, no, no, okay. yeah, exactly. Okay. The idea being that in order to increase, say, the number of, of minorities uh, on campus, uh, whether it's West Point or, or any other school, that you would have to sit here and have the, have folks come in at a lower GPA, lower SAT score. Right. Yeah. So, right, right, right. you know, it was like, you know, essentially that there aren't qualified minority candidates who could mm-hmm. attend uh, West Point, who could attend uh, a USC or a Clemson uh. or such. Yeah, that could see why that. Yeah, didn't that, could, go. that could rub people. <laughs> so, so rub people and rub people the and, wrong way. And yeah. and uh, you know his sexual assault comment. I you know he said was taken out of context. Um, okay. he, he he what it was is he was kind of jumping from topic to topic, and it seemed like he was sort of stringing this thought together. You know he's been on an NCA task force to try to reduce sexual assault. He actually did some things at West Point to again address sexual assault issues. One of them I remember notably in an article where apparently he moved the office where you go to file complaints from a fairly public spot to a spot where it was a little more discreet that you could go into and obviously report these mm-hmm. things. So, uh, you know, his, his history didn't really sort of back up his words. But at the same time, because the campus was already kind of on edge about the lack of experience that he had right. that was on top of it, as well as the fact that we're talking about a military man. Not everybody is pro-military. We're talking about someone who was in seemingly in Trump's orbit. Again, not everybody is pro-Trump. So that added to the tensions. What's kind of the background of, of how a how this presidential search got started and how it operated, you know, so they, they needed to replace the retiring president. So what, what did they do? How did this guy even get in the mix in the, in the first place? Well, and we've learned a lot about that. It's uh, sort of afterwards, but yeah. uh, essentially uh, to step back a little bit, Harris Pastides has had led USC for 11 years, a very successful. Yeah, I was about to say that, that guy, like he's a name. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. yeah and, again, and again, he even came in with doubts. He was the vice president of research. He was the internal candidate. He, Nobody really knew if he had the pedigree to do the job, but he and of course in his first months he actually had to uh, cut staff and cut spending because he it was a recession. Um, so he was not exactly a popular character when he walked in the door. But that said, he has 
built, you know, basically spent more than a billion dollars uh, in new construction from athletics to academics to dorms. He has um, won over the state house. He was able to uh, get some of the funding for some of the projects that he wanted to do, and he was um, respected at the at the state house. But he was really respected on campus. He took time to meet with students, to meet with faculty. He did uh, social media. He did a number of um, you know other other little films. Uh, he did this thing where he would ride around with sort of uh, celebrities and cars and his little Mini Cooper, which he by the way let students pick the kind of car that he got. Um, so he was very popular as being a, a hands-on president, a very approachable president. And so whoever was going to succeed him was going to have uh, you know obviously fairly big big uh, shoes to fill. And here comes Bob Caslin. And Kaslin um, had retired from the Army last year. He retired from um, uh, West Point. Uh, he had been in the Army at that point for 43 years. He's 65 years old. And he, he uh, was actually working at the University of Central Florida. He had been brought in essentially as a crisis manager. The University of Central Florida was going through its own little crisis, which I don't know reason to go into. But he was brought in to help sort of fix uh, some of the governance issues, fix some of the administrative issues. And he was interested in continuing his role in higher yeah, education. Yeah, so how did he get here, though? How so, did he get here? And uh, then who were the other, you know, what yeah, was that process like of getting him here which, and the other candidates? I guess sure. Been. No, that's fair. Um, so, you know, I don't know what, you know, what drew him to apply here. He's, you know, he'd heard of, he said he heard about the he heard about the opening. You know, he was working with a firm. They so said that's how it works. Merch- I mean, like they... People apply to be friends, you know, because yeah, you, you, yeah. I always thought that it was kind of more of like they were selected by the board, like even. Oh, oh sure. No, let me, I'll explain the process. I'm sorry. Okay. Let, me, let me take you from the beginning. So you have a job opening. I mean, first of all, you know, Harris announced, uh, Harris Pestiti has announced he's retiring. They appoint a search committee. The search committee then, um, and the search committee is made up of mostly trustees, but it also includes representatives from faculty, students, alumni, the Development Foundation. And so they all get together and they pick a search firm. So they'll. Uh, in this case, they parked a, picked a firm out of Atlanta, and they set up criteria for the job and what they're looking for. And the search firm is supposed to come and say, solicit applications, and then help uh, sort of winnow it down. And then the search committee then winnows it down even more. And then the object of the search committee is to give the board four finalists. So, uh, you know, how Caslin was approached, whether he was approached by someone on the outside or whether he threw his application gotcha. in, he was in, he was one of the 80-plus folks who applied for the job. Um, at some point, everybody looked at the applications, and I was told that essentially um, all the search committee members picked their favorites, and so they kind of did a Venn diagram and figured out who did everybody really like. They wanted to interview 11 semifinalists. Bob Caslin was not among them. He was not among them? He was not among the first 11 semifinalists. No. They came up with two alternates because they figured the people would drop out. They lost three people. So they put the two alternates in, and then they had one slot open when they were going to interview the semifinalists. And according to uh, the faculty senate chair at the time who was on the, on the committee, on the search committee, he said that the leader of the search committee, who was a board member, unilaterally put Caslin on the interview list. And so, so he kind of like slid right in there right at the end. He, he, was, he was put in there. Huh. Um, and I've heard different reasons about what, why he wasn't on there. No one is officially saying anything. But he apparently had a pretty good interview during his semifinalist interview and was deemed one of the four finalists. Uh, along with three, as I said, more traditional academics, but none of whom had ever led a college. And then that was put before the board. Mm. And then, so what happened? So when he came and he said those uh, controversial statements, and then, as you mentioned, you know, he already was kind of, people weren't sure, even from the onset. So then in the spring, there was like a bunch of protests from students, correct? And then they kind of, was was there like a call made, like we're going to just hold off on on the vote. So during so during the last week of April, they brought in all the finalists and they had them meet every day, come in and, and do a round of, of uh, forums. And one of them was public. And so they actually live streamed it. You can see them on YouTube if you want to. Um, and then they brought them all back on that Friday mm-hmm. to basically play, uh, to, to, to interview with the board. And I always kind of joke and kind of say it's like The Apprentice. They all kind of waited in their hotel rooms for <laughs> phone calls to see if they got the job. So that, that Friday, that meeting went on and on and on. And I had known that Kaslin was the favorite um, from my sources, and I'd been writing that. And I, I'm going to be honest. I had a Kaslin is going to become president story all written. And like then in our like, system? It was in, like, our, yeah. it's in our system. And because <laughs> yeah. I'm all paranoid because, you know, I don't want it to go out early <laughs> right, or whatever. But, and, but yeah, <laughs> for context to our listeners, like we have to pre-write stories a lot uh, in these kind of breaking time. news right. situations. So. 
And, oh, that's funny. I don't think I realized that. And our, and in our system, there's also ways you can accidentally publish oh, something too, which yep, is absolutely, not. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I, you know, I fortunately, but as it went on, I, uh, I had a reporter who was actually at the meeting, and I was I was I was at our office, um, kind of uh, uh, playing, uh, you know, sort of being the hub of of getting information. I started writing a second story, which was they didn't make a decision. Fortunately, I had uh, had that story written because it's uh, after a few hours they came back and said. We're not picking any of them. We're going to continue the search. Everybody obviously was not very happy with that because you had spent all this time. There had been about $130,000 spent on a search, and we didn't have a president. And what they did was they named an interim president. Uh, this was the person who led well, the largest of the four-year campuses. Would the students not have been happy? I mean, they were protesting because they didn't like Kaslin, right? So they, 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 And they were. They were happy. They were protesting. There was protests outside of the boardroom uh, right. at this meeting, and um, – you know, they sort of got what they wanted, which was they they did they didn't get Caslin, and they said reopen the search and try to find somebody else. And that's what we all thought they did. They didn't until <laughs> they didn't. So we thought. So I kept on asking, when is the search committee going to meet again? Never heard it. And then I heard that the four finalists, the ones they passed over, were still active candidates, and they were still considering them. Notably, Caslin. And I wrote a, actually a column in May that said. They're still thinking about Kaslin, and Kaslin was still saying, I'm willing to look at USC. And I knew pretty much at that point everything was focusing on him. And then things went kind of quiet until July when I heard that Governor Henry McMaster um, was making phone calls to trustees to try to try to encourage them to vote for Kaslin. Some background on, on the governor is that he was unhappy with how Kaslin was treated during um, the initial process. In fact, called Kaslin and apologized on behalf and said, essentially, we're sorry for how you were treated. It was so rude. When he's talking about rudeness, though, he's talking about like the protests? What he was talking about with those protests and everything back in April. Okay. So um, he had made the phone call soon after April, but then, as I said, things had kind of quieted down. In July, then the governor starts calling the trustees and says, look, this man deserves a vote. You know what I mean? Up, down. If you don't want them, that's fine. But we never voted on them. We just decided to continue the search. One side issue is that Henry McMaster happens to be the de facto chairman of the board. State law makes the governor the chairman of the University of South Carolina board. Now, the governor hmm. doesn't attend the meetings. He doesn't sit here and make decisions about tuition and that kind of thing. He appoints a designee. In this case, uh, uh, Governor McMaster actually has designated a Greenville businessman who happened to be his biggest uh, campaign donor. Uh, you're allowed to do that. But in this case, he was sort of saying, as chairman, I'm sort of could, – I could come in and lead the meeting and make you guys make a vote if you don't well, take a Well, why is vote. this hap- – it's like – one thing that's interesting, though, is like yes. he could have done that in May, right? Or April, I guess. Yeah. So he could have done that in April, but he waited until – I mean, was – July? Well, because because no one can remember. And I mean, I've talked to a board member who's been on the board for 40 years who can never remember a governor ever coming to a meeting except to maybe give an order of the Palmetto, which is our, our state's highest honor right. to somebody. Because what's interesting is once the governor enters the boardroom, he is the chairman or the chairwoman of the of the board. The chairman or the So the, this is just pretty uncommon that he would actually use that power. Yeah, exactly. So huh. and the idea that he was even kind of veil, in a veiled way threatening it to get them to go ahead and move forward. Forward was was you know and again one of the other issues was that a majority of the board liked Caslin and going back to April one of the issues that happened was that they could have they had enough votes there's 20 members on the board they had 11 votes for Caslin but this is a board that prides itself on unanimity and consensus they want everything to look good and especially when you're bringing in a new boss you don't want a new boss coming in right to your workplace where. Half every half the people like him, half the people hate him or her. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, so they didn't want that. So they thought if a little bit of time passed, maybe they can win people over. It didn't change. So push comes to shove. We have a meeting, and a specially called meeting. And indeed, he wins with a, a, a slim margin, 11 to 8, with one person essentially voting present. Uh, in July. But, in July. Which is so just, three months, which is three months after the I initial I mean, was vote. that strategic doing it? When students are not on campus or not as many students? <laughs> well, it didn't prevent the protests. In fact, the protests actually moved to the second floor, out just outside the boardroom, and oh, yeah, they, they screamed, okay. shame, shame, shame. They were on the first floor uh, a little farther away in the April meeting, so they were a little closer this time around. Um, and it was pretty vocal um, and, uh, and, pretty, and, pretty, uh, and pretty heated afterwards. But uh, the, the interesting part was that meeting in July, I've covered this board for seven years. I have never seen it this fractured. 
and hmm. people making speeches both for and against Kaslin and the process. And that was the other thing is that people – as many – we've talked a lot about folks maybe liking or not liking uh, General Kaslin. But the issue also was how the search went. The search was supposed to go a certain way as I explained. You know, you hire a committee. They hire a firm. You take applications. You vet the applications. You come up with four finalists. You interview them. You pick one. Um, and this was being basically – turned on its edge. You know, we went, you know, we, we we decided that we didn't like the four finalists for whatever reason, but then they really weren't off the table. And then rather than voting on the four finalists again, we were really only voting on one finalist. And this had to be done because the governor kind of butted in. I mean, okay, and I know we can't say this for sure, but it would it would appear that McMaster really wanted Caslin for the job. It would appear that way. No, 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 no. He wanted him. So why? Why Why did McMaster like him so much? <laughs> Again. That's such a polarizing figure. Exactly. Non-traditional. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and we're, we're a state that loves the military. We have four military base hubs in this state. We have one of the highest percentage-wise populations of veterans in the country. You know, we are a very military-friendly state. And so the idea of having you know, a former West Point superintendent, a former general, someone who, as I said, wrote the handbook or wrote the guide on fighting terrorism at our large, running our largest school was seen as a big plus. And also he had this ability because he was an outsider. He wasn't an academic. If we had to make some hard decisions, there were programs we wanted to cut, spending we wanted to cut um, or curb. Also, if we were going to try to do things to basically make tuition hikes go away, he would make the tough calls because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't tied to the academic process. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, that makes sense, I guess. It just is also, you know, it's just really interesting that, you know, at this point, even that, I don't know, if I was Bob Caslin, I— Why would you want to come here? Yeah. And that's an—I mean, but he did. He really wanted to come here. He thought—he thinks he, can, he thinks he can make the University of South Carolina a preeminent college. He continues to talk about that. I think he also wants to prove doubters wrong. I may not have all the all the right. all the all the all the things on my resume that you think I ought to have, but I think I can do this, and I think there's a little bit of that in him. That said, he is on a basically at will contract at the moment, which means he could walk away. They hmm. could say, "We've had a good time with you." The board could and say, "Bob, we've had a good time. We had a good time. Time to go." <laughs> so I think it's interesting. And, and as I said, Caslin's 65. He's the same age as Pastides, who's now retiring. Huh. And you know, it sort of begs the question of how long is he going to be here? He's, you know, Pastides was here for 11 years. It's fair to say that probably Caslin isn't going to be here that long. But there are. But Caslin has the ability to really transform, at least at one in one spot, the administration at the school. He, there's no uh, the provost departed to go to the University of Minnesota. Uh, we have a chief financial officer opening. We have a chief development officer opening. We have an opening actually even for a chief communications officer. And there may be other retirements coming up. So he may have a hand in naming all of these administrators who basically run the campus day in, day out. So where does um, – the, at the beginning of this, we mentioned um, that there was a court battle and donors – Getting involved, so so where does where does that come well, in in the timeline? Sure, I mean there's a, a lot of uh, angles on this, and I apologize mm-hmm. for leaving some of it up, but that's that's an excellent point. So uh, let's talk about the court battles first. Uh, when the board decided to hold a special meeting the first time after Mc, Governor McMaster called and said, "Let's have a vote on Caslin," they called a meeting, um, and one of the board members noticed that in state law, even if they have a specially called meeting, they have to do it five days in advance, so you can't do it. Uh, 24 hours or 48 hours in advance, even if you, even if it's what meets what we call the public record, public um, notification laws. Their law, their bylaws, their actually, excuse me, their the state law says five days. Well, they only did it in three days, so that ended up holding up one meeting, and they ended up scheduling it the next week with enough time for the notification. But it was again, you're talking about a board member suing basically his other board member, saying we're doing something wrong. Now, something I've never heard of. Um, and, you know, getting back to the, uh, to, to the other issue about donors. So on the eve of the vote, Darla Moore, who is a Lake City financier, she is the first woman to have ever appeared on the cover of Fortune magazine, among other things. She was a, uh, basically a, a major player on Wall Street, is the school's biggest benefactor. She's given more than $75 million to the school. The business school is named after her. She actually helped basically craft the business school building that you see on Assembly Street, uh, among other things. Um, she came out on the night before and said, I need you all to stop. Don't don't vote. The process is, is wrong. This is wrong. And, you know, I need you to, to uh, 
to maybe take a break. And they didn't. She's very unhappy. Um, mm. And my understanding is still very unhappy still uh, about how this all went down. And this is, you know, in South Carolina, we don't have a lot of big money, a lot of big donors. Yeah, so not, is she going to so. stop donating? She isn't said yet. She mm. hasn't said yet. But, you know, she's already donated a, a, a good a good right. chunk of money. And then we had some. We had at least one other donor say, I have a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Now, that other donor has come back and said, I'm going to give Kaslin a chance, see how he does. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, But, again, it's interesting when you have – Two of your three largest donors essentially say, I've got a problem with it. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing, I mean, yeah, as Andy said, like there's so much here. And I mean, this is it's a pretty wild story. Right. But when I was a, a senior at College of Charleston, yeah. we had similar ish. Oh, no, I, th- I think it's pretty similar. Yeah, the the, the I mean, whole time, the whole. So listeners, you should know that your two hosts are both graduates of the College of Charleston. The College of Knowledge. Exactly. Go Cougars. Go Cougies. Um, the whole time that I've been learning about this story, but even in this conversation, I've been thinking, you know, there are some stunning parallels to something that happened at CFC back in 2014. So uh, I'll just I'll run through the the bullet points of that real fast. CFC, P. George Benson, the president retired. They went through the exact same thing that that Andy just described. You know, they hired this, they formed a search committee, hired a consulting firm. The consulting firm put together a list of spent a lot of money on spent, that. Search spent a lot of money. Do. Yeah, I can't remember the exact number. But it, it was a lot. Yeah, it was like over a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Um, spent some money, put together um, a list of recommendations, put it back to the search committee. They you know went through the whole process. And then completely ignored that to consider the state's lieutenant governor, Glenn McConnell. And, you know, to make a long story short, we went through a lot of the same things. There were protests. People were mad. The faculty felt mad. The students felt mad. The alumni felt mad. A lot of people threatening to withhold um, donations, student protests. In the end, though, it, it happens. They select him. He becomes the, the president of, of the College of Charleston. And then hangs on for for four years until he retires last year um, and then was replaced by Andrew Sue. What's what's interesting about that and and what that leads me to is, I guess it leads to a couple of questions that I have. But the first one is, are we going to act like, is there going to be fallout at USC? Because that seems to be like there was a lot of controversy at CFC. I guess it's debatable how much harm came to CFC because of it, but but it right. I mean, it seems like seemed, a lot of fuss, and then there, there was there and everyone was, chilled out. It's, and it's interesting, mm-hmm. and, and good, po- interesting point. Real quick, one of the tangents I didn't get into also <laughs> is that um, there's now an accreditation issue going on with USC um, because of Governor McMaster's involvement. Uh, USC's accreditors have sent a letter saying, "Can you tell us about how much involvement politics played in this?" While politics are always going to play a piece, a role, whether it's at College of Charleston or uh, at USC because a majority of the board members are elected by the legislature, there's sort of a clause in the accreditation about undue political influence involved in the management and leadership of the schools. The idea is, of course, you don't want lawmakers or the governor to sit here and say, but drop the philosophy program or, right. or drop this professor or hire this professor, that kind of thing, or hire this president. So they're actually asking these questions, and there's some concerns about could it affect the University of South Carolina's accreditation. And the reason accreditation is important is that without it, you cannot give, uh, you cannot offer financial aid to students, federal financial aid to students, and you know that that pretty much mm-hmm. ends, ends, your, ends your being a college, if that's the case. Yeah. And also you can't get grants and such. So that actually could be a thing that happens? That- it's, I think it's unlikely. I mean, on that issue alone. Now, I think if there's several other issues that, that, that the creditors find, finances, some other things— I think combined that could be an uh, could be an issue, but uh, I wonder if on its own whether the idea that the governor made some phone calls is going to end up you know costing the school its accreditation. That's it's a tall oh, task. My, I think, yeah. but, but but again, it's fair. For, I think it's fair to raise the questions, fair to ask the questions, especially as the school is going mm-hmm. through accreditation at this point. But but getting back to the College of Charleston, you know, with with Glenn McConnell and and in his history. Um, let alone the fact that he didn't have an academic background, just like General right. Caslin, yeah. but he also, of course, had the background as someone who um, was very pro-Confederate, um, and so there was some concern about, of course, uh, you know, minority student recruitment, as well as, of course, uh, did life, he he uh, did he run or own a, a Confederate memorabilia store? That is correct. Yeah. He did. Okay. He did, and he was a re- he was a reenactor, and there were many photos of him in his Confederate garb that yeah. people found and used during that time. 
but but he ended up keeping a fairly low profile, yeah. you know, and he ended up I don't I think everyone would kind of say, you know, he didn't, you know, the school the school didn't flourish, but the school also didn't perish. Right. You know, he 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 kind of held his own. Um he really rarely gave interviews um after after he left uh, public office it was really interesting. He was a prominent person in the state senate and then of course was lieutenant governor and then all of a sudden it was like he fell off the <laughs> at least hmm. as far as the media went because they kind of mm-hmm. fell off the map because I think he was trying his best to kind of Stay out of the limelight, not generate any more any more controversy, and in the end, you know, you know, you you know, College of Charleston is still upright uh, at right. the end of it. But there weren't these kinds of issues. For some reason, the accreditors didn't come in and ask these kind of issues of why did you pick essentially a politician to come? Yeah, um, and I can't remember. I mean, so I guess you know, for College of Charleston, the governor wouldn't have as much influence anyway. But it was Governor Nikki Haley at the mm-hmm. time. But again, the governor, by the way, is the de facto chairman yeah. or chairwoman of, of, yeah. of your board. Yeah. Of but every college? Of every college. Oh, okay. Except well, for public Cle- ones, yeah. ex- Of the public ones, except for Clemson, which is a, which is a different has – a, uh, has a will from the gentleman who uh, donated all the land that is to Clemson. Clemson has a majority of its board as lifetime board members. They're not elected by the um, – they're not elected by the legislature. Um, so it's a, it's a little different at, at Clemson, but at every other public college, yes. Um, the governor has a designee on there because the governor doesn't want to attend all these yeah. meetings. So I guess my question is, I mean, I just can't remember, like, who wanted McConnell? McConnell, McConnell wanted. The, 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 <laughs> McConnell wanted McConnell, but also the legislature wanted McConnell as okay. well. And, and essentially going back to the fact that the board, most of the board members, the ones that are elected by congressional district, are elected by the legislature – you know, basically, if if you if the person who kind of put you up said, you know what, I'd really kind of like it if Glenn McConnell got a shot at being president, there you go. And so uh, that's as you say, at the time it was great controversy, and then it just seemed to kind of disappear in part because uh, I think he kept a fairly low profile. Mm-hmm. It feels like this might be. I mean, the the College of Charleston thing felt really big to me because I was you know in the midst of it. I mean, you know. We like basically classes stopped one day because everybody walked out of class. It was wild. But I mean, this USC thing seems like a much bigger deal because of the context, I feel like, of the governor and the I mean, mm-hmm. and um, from my understanding, I'm I was just kind of catching up on your most recent article um, that it the USC could shrink the states uh, could shrink the um, the board. Size? Yeah, ex- exactly. This, like- <laughs> so there are 20 members, believe it or not, 20 members on the USC board. Um, 16 of them are elected by the legislature. They're actually elected by judicial circuits. It's the only um, board that's elected by the, ju- the smaller judicial circuits. And these are the circuits that are used to define where how prosecutors are elected in our state. Um, and uh, then there's four that are appointed um, – or get their jobs because of their jobs. And so two of them are appointed by the governor. One is the governor's designee. And the governor has a genuine just one appointment that he or she can make. Uh, the superintendent of state uh, – the state superintendent of education gets a seat on the board. And the president of the alumni association gets a seat on the board, a, vote, a voting seat. Interestingly, the faculty chair and the student body president also were on the board, but they're non-voting members. So they mm. get to be part of the meetings, but they don't – their votes uh, don't count. And there's been some talk about that. But again, another angle to this story to bring up and, and very good is that um, after all of this, there was some talk about revamping the board. Um, we have had seven board members, so seven of the of the sixteen that are elected, have served on the board since essentially the freshmen who arrived on campus were born, and we have three board members who have basically been there more than three decades. So there has been some talk about how do we maybe get some of get some new blood on the board, and so the thought was. Take everybody off the board, revamp the board to a smaller um, uh, to a smaller group. Uh, so go from uh, twenty members to eleven, which actually would make it the smallest um, board hmm. in the state. Interestingly, for the largest college. Yeah. Um, and so this is now being discussed in the legislature, uh, and um, you know, obviously, the current board says we think we can do the job. Um, but at the same time, there are people who are saying, you know, maybe somebody from the faculty should have a vote. Maybe somebody from the student body should have a vote. So there's a, a lot of discussions going on. Things are fairly um, sensitive right now. It'll be interesting once the legislature comes back in January where that, that meter is, um, considering other things that are going to be cropping up. I mean, it does seem really odd to me, if you really think about it, that faculty and students don't really have a say in who the president is. That's that's weird. I mean, it does Yeah, it does seem like they're— 
They're the biggest it's the stakeholders. Norm, I guess, but well, they're, yeah. they're part of the search committee. But yes, when it comes to the final button, no, mm-hmm. you're correct. Right. And then that's the same at College of Charleston and the rest. Yeah. And and yeah, you're and and oh, someone even suggested the parents have a have right. a seat on the board because a number of them pay the bills. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, of College of Charleston, you know, another thing that comes to mind is in the last several years, there was um, a big curriculum scandal in, in um, CFC where a couple of colleges, I, I think it was CFC and USC Upstate, um, assigned a, a book by uh, Alison Bechtel, who's a prominent like lesbian and feminist author and graphic novelist. And there was controversy over assigning her book and... Oh, is this Fun Home? Fun Home, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there for that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then uh, there was there was uh, unsuccessful. So it's all Brooks' fault. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unsuccessful. I bring attempt, the controversy yeah, in the in the state house though to like control higher education curriculums through funding. Mm-hmm. Um, putting all of this together, my my question kind of becomes: Is higher education in South Carolina unusually political? Is our system set up to encourage political? Interference, or it, it, it seems that way. I, I haven't really compared it with a number of other states. I mean, and other states have what's called a board of regents, so they have a board that oversees all the all the public schools overall. Uh, we don't have one in South Carolina. In fact, Clemson's um, charter kind of prohibits that because there's not supposed to be anyone over the Clemson board, um, uh, per the will uh, that uh, that granted the land to uh, to the state for the school. So. But that's an excellent. I mean, that's that's that was an issue a few years back uh, where there was talk about pulling funding. There was talk about trying to curb a quote unquote pornography being distributed mm-hmm. on campus. Mm. I remember that was a, 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 a couple of bills were introduced on that. So I, I, it's you're, you're you know it, they try, but for the most part they haven't been successful in trying to right. to do that or to drive a professor away or that kind of thing. I mean, there's always going to be you know, as we as You've noted, of course, in, in previous podcasts, we're a f- Republican state. We're a conservative state politically um, and that, you know, to a certain degree, even though most of the politicians in the state house are Republican and would prefer, you know, academics maybe taught, uh, may, you know, maybe taught in a more politically neutral way than they sometimes hear from their friends or their their kids and that kind of thing, that that they, 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 they talk about it, but then they really don't do anything. Per se, mm-hmm. and that's and that's that's and even I think to a certain degree what might happen with Caslin and this whole thing with the board is that there might be a lot of anger. There's a lot of very very raw nerves at the moment. But how does that how does that look in January? How does that look in February? Um, and also we also have a major election coming up. In the fact that all 170 members of the legislature are up for re-election, so you may hear a little bit of that towards the first half of the session, and then once filing is done, eh, maybe it quiets down. But you know it's it's. You know, there's always going to be controversy on college campuses. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the biggest controversy on a college campus is tuition. Yeah. You know, and the idea being that uh, South Carolina public colleges are among the most expensive on average, um, most expensive in the country, because the South Carolina legislature gives one of the lowest percentages of support to its public colleges of anywhere in the country. So as a result, colleges have had to raise the price and increase the enrollment. Um which is, you know, not not very popular decisions on either end. Right, right. Hmm. It almost almost makes you wonder if, um, given the outsized influence that they have and and how these uh, institutions are run, maybe maybe they should be kicking in more of the bill, or else giving the people who are paying more influence. Yeah, food for thought. <laughs> um, the last thing I kind of come in come around time to wrap this up a mm-hmm. little bit, but okay, so we've had two kind of big controversies around this and two of the biggest colleges here in the last five years. Five years yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but like it, in other states, do we see this happening? Like, is this, is well, it weird that this happened twice? Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it happens in other states. I mean, you know, you know, think about silent Sam in North Carolina and, and, you know, the whole issue again of, of, uh, you know, having monuments and, and, and having um, buildings named after, uh, you know, Historic racists or Confederate generals and that kind of thing, and 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 so you're always going to have a little bit of everything. It just seems like there has been a lot of attention on colleges in the past, as you say, five six years for various reasons, um, and to a certain degree they kind of come and they go. 
this one is you know stuck around for a while, and it's, this one has brought up a, a lot of sore spots at USC. I also think that there's a lot of issues that have been unresolved at USC that maybe need to be addressed. And again, General Caslin and the board need to um, figure that out, uh, especially with the faculty. They seem to be very upset uh, at a number of things. And again, the faculty are obviously the main employees uh, at, at a university, not to take away from anyone else at the university. Um, but again, um, students go to the school to get taught and they go there for the reputation. So um, it, it'll be interesting to sort of see how that plays out and to see how, uh, again, how the, how the politicians mm-hmm. play it out as well. Do we think that this like could diminish USC's reputation? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, that was that was that was one of the biggest things that came up in in the CFC scandal, right? Is that people were concerned that it would hurt CFC's reputation, not only to have somebody that is not necessarily qualified or not traditionally qualified, but somebody who is, you know, associated with these more controversial aspects of of the South and and something that kind of feeds into a, a more like right it was like stereotypical impression a lot that, of people felt like have. college Charleston would not be able to attract uh, right. African American candidates right and it's and a school that needs I mean it, yeah, yeah it, it is it is, a, it is a school where where diversity is a problem yeah um, uh, uh, diversity is a problem at a lot of the major uh, yeah uh, even public colleges uh, at the moment yeah right. you, is, and, and is that a problem I mean I don't I just don't know it has, is US I feel like USC is a little more diverse than College of Charleston but. Not, I mean, it's, but it doesn't reflect the population as, right. as, as not even yeah. close as a whole, and that's both in faculty and in and students, and that's that's something that you know Clemson, College of Charleston, Coastal Carolina, all of them need to uh, are, are looking to address. Um, and again, affordability is that that issue that comes up a lot, um, even with the uh, the lottery scholarships and such. That uh, you know the cost of of everything, room, board, fees, books, living in Columbia or Clemson or Conway or Charleston. Uh, comes into play. But like going back to, to CFC, just to wrap that up, part of that did happen. Like there were negative stories, you know, in, in Huffington Post. There was a story about it in the New York Times. Like this did get national press attention. I, I think it remains something that you can debate whether or not it, but you know, like, like, like we said earlier though, CFC still exists. People are still going there. It's still one of the hardest schools to get into in the state. It, you know, it, and it's still attracting, it's still attracting minority it's, students. Yeah. It's still an attractive school for a lot of people nationwide. So I think it's, I think it's a question that you can debate how much it, it impacted the school. I guess my reputation. take with this USC thing, it's like, well, the diversity thing is a kind of an issue because as Katzlin, his comments about having to lower standards to attract diverse students. There's that element. But I think that the difference could be here is that it, you know, it feels like this is such a, a mess that like people could really kind of have a lack of confidence in mm-hmm. how the universities run a little bit more severe, you know, with College of Charleston, I think diversity was yeah. the main thing. But to me, this issue is more like, you know, they weren't going to vote and they did vote and maybe they like, they broke a law somewhere in between yeah. <laughs> and like almost sued themselves, you know, like that's. It's like who's you know it's 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 who's running the show and how are they running the mm-hmm. show and, right and and to a certain degree it's it's the board at this point and of course the board doesn't sit here and decide whether they're chicken fingers at the Russell House on Wednesday or <laughs> whether or not they run they they you know whether or not uh, you know the football team wins or loses uh, in the end that's going to be on Caslin and um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that how that how that as you say reputationally how that affects the college whether it's in in, in attracting students in attracting faculty. Or even down the road, again, because it seems like Haslin is more of a short-term president, what do we happen when we have the next presidential search? And who Mm -hmm. do we get and who don't we get um, at USC uh, applying or looking at it because of the uh, situation? Did the presidential search improve when um, College of Charleston after McConnell retired? I didn't see as many headlines about it, so I guess. I I mean (laughs) – Nobody in the legislature wanted the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To, like that's a hard one to do because I think it's it's also complicated. But to to try to answer that as simply as I can, I think I think the general impression is that yes, it was better. The candidate that is currently president, I think everybody basically like agrees is is qualified. He comes from the University of Toledo in Ohio. He's you know got an academic background. I know that there was a little bit of controversy in the student government because the student government had preferred the uh, there was one woman um, in the fi- list of finalists and they had uh, their preference was to select her. But I don't think it was anything as as like 
acrimonious is the selection of, of Glenn McConnell. So, well, and, and actually, to your point, uh, that was one more woman in the group of finalists than what USC had. Right. USC didn't, in fact, again, another tangent, they didn't have any women among the finalists, which was, of course, Even, also upsetting at, at USC among the four finalists. And our understanding was that in the semifinalists, they didn't have very many women e- either. Yeah, I was about to say, were well, they in the semifinals? Mm hmm. And, mm-hmm. and my understanding, by the way, is that the the one woman they were really targeting as a potential finalist in the semifinalist group just ended up getting another ended up getting another job at a president a president's job. Took the bird in the hand uh, rather than waiting to see what USA was going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's uh, probably yeah. as as good a place to wrap it up as any. Um, Andy, thanks so much for for coming on the show and explaining this whole thing to us. I th- no, thank you for having me. He drove was, all the way from all Columbia. The way from Columbia yeah. All the go. way from Lumbia. You know, hey, it's, it's two hours or four hours well spent. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Um, one one thing I, I we got to get in before we, we oh. wrap it up. Oh, that's right. That's right. This I almost ca- forgot. This came up. This came up last last week. Last sure. week we were talking about the scan of settlement checks, and Andy Brown mentioned. That you got a huge check from. Oh Scanna. yeah, I got a huge check of eighty bucks. Eighty bucks. Eighty bucks. So somebody has accused me of like running like an aluminum plant. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea how I earned an eighty dollar check. I told Andy Brown uh, that it was. Be- I got a dollar for every story I either wrote or edited um, about it. And so that was where my bonus came in. Burning the mineral but, oil. Uh, but yeah, everybody seems Literally. to want to <laughs> seems to want to take loans out from me or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I I, I know. I it's really funny. I in a neighborhood where once in a while we compare bills and, and our bills I don't think are fairly far off of my my neighbors but uh, but you know that said um, yeah I can uh, here in Charleston I guess I can uh, buy a, a, a nice bowl of shrimp and <laughs> basically yeah, that's all you get with eight dollars <laughs> that's right exactly I mean, couple of cocktails no, no, no side um, but there you go but yeah uh, yeah, yeah ex- uh, I'd like to I'd like to think that uh, we we keep the air conditioner at a reasonable level but maybe we need to examine that mm-hmm. <laughs> well you've yeah. got you've got kids. And so, you, you know, I guess a lot of us are comparing like our, you know, our checks, but I mean, our electric bills are probably just lower in general because a lot of us are just like single people that, you mm-hmm. know, and living in small apartments. And, 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 and I've lived in Columbia yeah. for 11, 12 years. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I get all of that. But at the same time, I, you know, I, I guess I was, when I put it out there, I was, it was actually kind of interesting during that whole time seeing people put their checks out there. So I put mine out there. Uh, some of my colleagues did, some other people mm-hmm. I follow on Twitter. And then everybody was like, oh, and I was like, oh, maybe <laughs> no, I like, no uh, way. I swear I'm, I'm energy efficient. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I needed to, to turn the air conditioner off at 50. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, to wrap this up, uh, as we said at the at the uh, at the start of the show, Andy is our uh, Columbia chief or Columbia bureau chief. Um, our our Columbia team is is knocking it out of the park, just covering um, state politics like crazy. So can, be sure can, to, can I can I put a plug in? Yeah, because yeah. a lot of people. It's really funny. Uh, I used to work at the local paper in Columbia, and when I switched over to the Post and Career, people said, "Oh, you're in Charleston now." And of course, I'm in my neighborhood walking my dog. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, I'm clearly I'm here. And which part of Columbia bureau chief do you understand? <laughs> um, we're here in Columbia, uh, and I, I kid, but but in all seriousness, we have just to let you know uh, in in the we our Columbia bureau. We actually moved recently moved. Um, uh, our parent company, uh, Evening Post Industries, also owns Free Times. So together with Free Times, we have moved from Main Street to the corner of Gervais and Hardin, uh, right in the Waverly, historic Waverly neighborhood, right at the the, the right next to Five Points. Um, and uh, what we have for the Post and Courier there, we have five reporters who and editors who cover uh, state house and politics and uh, right now. And we also have two reporters who cover business in Columbia. And in addition, of course, we uh, are our parent company and we work very closely with Free Times, the Alternative Weekly. Um, actually, we put a, some of our copy from the Post and Courier into Free Times each week. And I work with uh, the Free Times staff as well. So it's really interesting that we sort of have an operation, uh, all told, of, of 10 people in Columbia, a fairly sizable operation there. Uh, so as yeah, I'm, said, glad thanks for the plug. I'm glad you're pointing this out because I don't know if, you know, everyone mm-hmm. realizes just how much of a presence we really do have yeah. in Columbia. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm definitely a little biased, but I, I don't think there's any any better source of, of uh, statewide political news. So, uh, yeah. I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very, and, very, uh, very kind. And, and also, we and, and honestly, we serve as this jumping on, as an operation for, uh, you know, I was covering other things in the state because we're a little closer to Greenville, a little closer right. to Florence, a little closer to everything as it is. And it's really nice. We've So we get to do a little bit of everything so it isn't just politics and business and such. Yeah. And I mean, the, the you know, the two business reporters are relatively new, uh, new hires in, um, in our operation. And their stories have been fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as well. Absolutely. So. If you haven't had a chance to read Mike Fitz's story about the ghost pizza place, the, pla- the pizza oh, place so that looks open but isn't, it's a, it's a good read. One of our most read stories but, yesterday. Well, we'll put that one in the show notes, even though it's not related, but it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a worthy read. Yeah. Also, one last thing. If, uh, if you found this story interesting, um, you're probably going to be interested in subscribing to our uh, Palmetto Politics newsletter. Correct. You can find that on postandcourier.com slash newsletters or just click on, it says newsletters right there at the top of the screen. And it's, it's wonderful. Caitlin Bird does that most mm-hmm. days. Shauna Adcox does it one day. It's a, uh, it's, it is a written um, a newsletter. It's, you know, it's organic. There are things in the newsletter that aren't oh, yeah, in not, the paper. Nothing automatic. No, yeah. Yeah. Nothing, just like our website. It's it's done by humans. Yeah. Um, and uh, very good humans, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. we, we do a good job of hiring humans. I just yeah, want to say that. Yeah, we're good human hires. Exactly. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, a big, big town on uh, big town on that. And Andy has a, a very prominent Twitter presence as well. So, if you want to keep up with his stories, what's your handle? My handle is uh, at Andy Shane, A-N-D-Y-S-H-A-I-N on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook with uh, this. uh, Actually, it's uh, Andy Shane 12. uh, If you just do the slash on your Facebook. Um, And so feel free to follow me on either of those options. I'm I'm trying to be a better Instagrammer. um, (laughs) And uh, I will, I will, I will. I'm working on that. um, And, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, the other thing is give us suggestions, your thoughts. We always want to know how we're covering things, how we're not covering things. Give us tips. Um, we're pretty good at keeping secrets uh, as well, <laughs> uh, if need be. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, we and I want to thank everyone for who reads the Post and Courier online in physical form or even if you, uh, you know, just happen to grab someone else's copy of the yeah. paper. But we yeah. uh, we appreciate it. And uh Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks, Andy. Thanks, subscribers. Thanks, listeners. Um, until next week. Yeah. We'll see y'all later. Bye. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later. 